You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. come out of so late that have really impressed upon me what cinema can be and how it can be really quite extraordinary to watch be it a fantastic story or just brilliant directing and acting and whatnot there are a lot of movies that have come out as of late obviously the ones that were nominated for oscars and a great many others that are not just worth watching but in some cases It's one of those few occasions where I say you need to watch this show, again, for a number of different reasons sometimes, be it that it addresses things in our history that we need to look at to better appreciate the time or the people involved. Or again, like I said, sometimes it's just that it's such brilliant directing that you need to see it just to appreciate it and be in on what everybody else is appreciating. Now, when the Oscars were announced this year, there was quite an uproar and for a good reason as well. And I don't want that to influence too much of this conversation because, again, this is about the appreciation of those films. And we'll cover some of the films that were not nominated that should have been nominated. However, not since 1995 has the Academy of Motion Pictures had so many white men in voting positions. And that has had a tremendous impact on who was nominated. We had an overwhelming 93% Caucasians voting this year and 76% male, which has led to not a single woman being nominated for director or writing. Those have all been men and over 20 nominations acting nominations for white actors. So films like The Brilliant Selma were largely ignored, thrown into the Best Picture category, but we could have had the first black woman director nominated, and she was, well, she was snubbed. Now, again, like as, I said, as a quick aside, have you seen Selma? Not yet. No, it's on my, it's in my queue. Amazing. Yeah. We will be covering it. Fabulous movie. Yeah. Everything I've seen of it, I'm dying to watch it. And there are others as well. Same kind of thing. That said, again, I, we're going to be covering those. So it's not like I'm playing preferential treatment here. But the three movies that I wanted to cover are three movies that, again, I really, truly enjoyed a lot that recently came out. And that is Birdman and The Imitation Game and The Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, I'd seen... Um, Grand Budapest Hotel before it was even nominated and knew this is just one of those. <laughs> We're going to have to cover this <laughs> just because this is the kind of movie that is done for me. This is, they've got me in mind when they make this type of movie. I remember when we were uh, doing our yep. 2014 preview and you, 
I was like, I don't know. I'm not that interested in this movie. I kind of realized that I had gotten it mixed up with the exotic Marigold Hotel. I don't even know what that is, actually. Is that like a porn show? Exotic Marigold Hotel is the movie I didn't care about. Okay. Well, (laughs) Grand Budapest is not just brilliantly directed, but the writing in that movie is among the best writing that I've seen in a movie in years. It is every line is memorable and Mm -hmm. it's performed so beautifully. And then when we look at um, the imitation game, I've, again, I've never hidden my love (laughs) cover batch. So I think he's freaking brilliant and in everything that I've seen him in. And this was an important story as well. I mean, the story of Alan Turing is important for a lot of different reasons, not just because the man was, well, Churchill said that he was the single greatest contributing factor in Britain's war during the Second World War. This was a genius who essentially invented computers and cracked the Enigma Code, and yet what he was the the way that he was treated because he was gay and criminalized because of it and then with the chemical castration like there was such horror but again when you look at the film in terms of everything that it is and how he was handled the, the, the everything that was going on with the war at the time and everything i know that you weren't by the sound of it as crazy about it as i was but I absolutely adored this film as well and highly, highly recommend it. I, I'll say it was a very good film and uh, we'll get into my more in-depth views on it in, in a little bit. Yeah. And then lastly, of course, Birdman. Birdman is <laughs> Birdman is right up my alley because of the manner in which it was directed as well. Not just because of the story, because quite frankly, the story is, you know, could be any any movie, not a big mm-hmm. deal kind of thing. It's the manner in which the film was written and directed that just makes it shine. Again, the acting was really quite good throughout, but nothing that you would say, wow, that is like unbelievable. Never going to forget that. No, it's just there's a feel to that movie. And there are a lot of different directors that are the same kind of way, that there's just this feeling and you know it's their movie ironically just recently um our youngest son is going to be turning 18 as a matter of fact in a a few weeks and he's at that age where we're introducing him to a lot of classic films good films and so we've been telling him about different ones that he'd never seen and whatnot and we've been going on that kick and one of the things that i've been telling him is because we've been watching the 12 monkeys tv show which if you're not watching i'm freaking digging that show a lot really oh god yeah have you watched any of it no Really good. Really good, actually. The wife and I are really enjoying it. And he'd seen that we were watching it, and we explained that it was from a movie. And then explained, like, it's a freaking awesome movie. Like, great movie. And it's a Terry Gilliam show. So then you're trying to explain, you know, what makes a Terry Gilliam movie a Terry Gilliam movie. And then we're talking about the uh, the Fisher Canyon kind of comparing. It's kind of hard to say, but you know it when you, you see it. Exactly. <laughs> you, you just can't get past it. And that's what it is. And there's a lot of other directors that are the same thing. Now, for Birdman, I'd never seen anything from 
from director uh, Alejandro Iñárritu. I'm not even going to pretend like I can pronounce it properly. Um, <laughs> it's but, even worse than Japanese for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well. Um, but anyway, but you look at the way it was shot and everything, and it's brilliant, brilliant directing. I'm glad that he won the Oscar for that. Well, I say that, but again, it could have gone to any of the other ones, but it, it's just there's that, that style in the show that is... The director is just as much a cast member almost kind of thing, the direction, as are the actors. And I, I so dig that. Yeah, I haven't seen any of Inrito's, any, any, yeah, his yeah. other films. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always heard good things about them. You know, Beautiful, 21 Grams, I've heard great things about them. Just never got around to checking them out. But it, it's actually really cool that he won this the year right after Alfonso Cuaron won his. Because... They've both been putting out uh, fantastic quality films, and for them to to win Best Director back to back is you know finally some great recognition. Like as as much as the Oscars were whitewashed this year, at least one guy got in there. <laughs> so, anyways, let's uh, again just to briefly talk about it. And for anybody who has not seen these, uh, the obvious. Spoiler warning is right there. We will be talking about a great. You already things. ruined the imitation game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ruin freaking Birdman because I want to know what your take was on the final scene. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Of the three, before we go into it too much, which was your favorite? Grand Budapest. Okay. I'm torn. The one that I thought was the best made was Birdman. The one that I enjoyed the most was Budapest Hotel. The one I that I want, that. the one that I want to see again tonight, tomorrow night, and again and again is Grand Budapest. Without a see, doubt, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'll say Birdman was the best made, Imitation Game was the best acted, but Grand Budapest was the most enjoyable. I will, I will tell you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, in terms of nominations, if in fact it matters to anybody, Birdman and Grand Budapest Hotel were nominated for nine apiece, and The Imitation Game was nominated for eight. So, Best Picture did go to Birdman. Directing went to Birdman as well. The Best Actress in a Leading Role went to Julianne Moore for Still Alice, which is another one that I'm dying to watch. That's something that the, the wife and I have looked at the trailers and really are looking forward to. And actor in a leading role went to um, Eddie Redman, Redman for uh, The Theory of Everything. So, again, interesting that the actors for these movies weren't selected for the leading roles, but I certainly won't disagree with, with, with those from what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of what the movies are, we'll start with Birdman seeing as it topped the night with the, the most wins. And that there is the the film with it. What's ironic with this too is they were saying it's like it's. It, I think they said the first film that is actually a quote unquote superhero, based on a superhero <laughs> character. That's one best best film. So um, Michael Keaton technically played, technically <laughs> that's all that matters. Technically, that's what it is. Wait, can I, can I make a quick of course, uh, yeah. observation here? Did you actually watch the Oscars? No. Okay, because I'm sure you, just like me, you had better things to do with seven and a half hours. Oh, I got better things to do with just if they had <laughs> cut it down to an hour. Yeah, but everything I saw was just beginning to end, constantly taking a crap on superhero movies. 
making fun of them. You know, everybody had something to say about, you know, superhero movies, because, of course, that's the big thing right now. Completely ignoring that half the people nominated for awards have been in superhero movies. It It just came off as really like. Petty. I don't know, insincere, yeah. Like they're upset that you know their well-reviewed artistic movies aren't making a billion dollars, but that's the way it's always been. What's ironic is, like you were saying, you look at Birdman and Michael Keaton and Edward Norton and Emma Stone have all been in superhero movies. <laughs> yep. Like, and Norton's gotten three nominations so far for Academy Awards, like it's, you can't look down on it. What I found disturbing, and it was funny because, of course, director James Gunn came out, <laughs> guns blazing. <laughs> oh, yes, he was a hero. He was not happy with what they were saying, not just about his movie, of course, um, but also just superhero movies in general. But it's true, though, like, I mean, you look at, for makeup and hairstyling, there was Foxcatcher, the Grand Budapest Hotel, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, as much as I loved the Grand Budapest Hotel, for makeup and hairstyling, you cannot begin to tell me that it was that, that comb over in Budapest Hotel was better than <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I know they spent a lot of money for uh, for what's her name Tilda. To, to, to make her look like the 84-year-old woman. I, I didn't even know that was her. Yeah, I did. Until I looked it up later. I was like, okay, who all was in the movie? I was like, what? Yeah. Who was she? <laughs> but you can't begin to say that anything in that movie was better done than Guardians. Period. And then for costume design, Guardians isn't even in there. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then for visual effects, Interstellar won out over... Well, Guardians, Winter Soldier, Days of Future Pass. I mean, I still would have given that to Guardians as well. As much as I like the other two superhero movies, it would have gone to Guardians, visual effects. I mean, you just have to look at freaking Rocket and Groot. Yeah. Forget about Interstellar's 2001 effects. Okay. Freaking Rocket and Groot. They deserve the visual effect. So, yeah, there was a lot of – but, I mean, that's par for the course for Oscars. Mm-hmm. People are always going to complain. But, yeah, the uh, the hatred for superhero stuff was palpable and oh so ironic given the attention they were given to Birdman. So – oh, and on a separate note, best animated films, Hero 6. Big Hero 6. That was awesome. I, I, you don't agree? I wouldn't say no. No. What did no. you? What would you I, have given I, it to? I, I really liked Big Hero Six. Don't get me wrong, but uh, How to Train Your Dragon Two was fantastic, and Lego Movie wasn't even nominated. Yeah. Lego Lego Movie is one of the best movies I saw this year. Period, animated or not. Yeah, yeah it was good, but <laughs> it it just struck a chord with me. Well, hold on. When did the Lego Movie come? Which one are you talking about? The Lego Movie. The Lego Movie that didn't come out this year though, did it? Came out twenty fourteen. Yeah. Did it? Okay. All right. There's a reason they were handing out Lego Oscars to all the people who weren't nominated. <laughs> Again, I did not watch it, so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so with the Box Trolls was phenomenal too. That was I, I haven't seen that. Oh, one yet. Box Trolls is really, really good. Impressive in so many different ways, and does not follow a lot of the traditional kind of animated storytelling. I mean, it's claymation, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, Box Trolls was really good. But for me still, I still did prefer Big Hero 6. There was something about that that really spoke to me. And, and, and that's how it works. Everyone's going to have – there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sometimes there's a wrong there's answer. Always, sometimes there are quite <laughs> – yes, most seriously. Is. Um, back to, again, Birdman. So Birdman is the – basically it could just as well be the story of Michael Keaton because he's playing himself essentially, although he said that he's far removed from what this character is, but the, the actor Regan Thomas who played Birdman and there were three Birdman movies, same as the Batman movies that he acted in. And it even, and, two. no, he was in three. No, he was in two. No. Yeah. Val Kilmer was in the third Batman. Was it? Yeah. Shit. Okay. Okay. But anyways, well, the, the one that he stopped was the same year as, the yes. Birdman movie I, stopped it's it. still said, a yeah. parallel yeah. course. And um, and so you you come to realize as you're watching it that he's obviously got some mental illness that's making him hear. This isn't just an actor being quirky. <laughs> there's, there's, there's meds for what he's got. And he's hearing the voice of Birdman. And I love that they did the Christopher Nolan <laughs> Batman, <laughs> the deep voice when he's talking. That was awesome. I, I have to wonder if this movie would have been half as successful with anybody else in that lead role. That's the thing, too. I, I think it would have been just as good, but would not necessarily have felt as authentic Yeah, for our generation. Like, I watched it. My son was kind of watching it at the same time, but he didn't – I don't even know if he's seen those – old Batman movies. He might have, but he would have been too young to really clue in that this is the same actor. But for us who remember those, and not just that, but remember how awesome they were at the time. Watching mm-hmm. them now is grown worthy. <laughs> is horrible. But at the time, it was freaking kick-ass. And so that brought this, it, it added a whole layer of depth to the movie that otherwise it would not have had just by Mm -hmm. virtue of the fact that it's real. So, and again, we look back to when those movies came out. I remember you no doubt do as well too. When they announced that it was going to be Michael Keaton and people lost their shit. I was a little young for that. Oh, you were? Okay. Aspect of it. I I, I remember the movies, but I wasn't part of the nerd rage. Oh, there was rage. (laughs) There was rage. It was not. And then, it came out and everybody's like, he was perfect. <laughs> we can't imagine the movie without him now. But beforehand, it was like rage. And so all of that, not just the movies, but the pop culture surrounding the movies at the time is now part of this movie just because it was Michael Keaton. So mm-hmm. it, it again, it made it so real. When he's running through Times Square in his shorts, his tidy whitey's there, you're like, it's Michael Keaton who's lost it because he's hearing the voice of Batman in his head. It just works on so many levels. And the utter realism of the general public's reaction to him. Like, it, it just... I have to imagine that without the Birdman persona, if Michael Keaton were running through <laughs> Times Square in his underwear, that's pretty much the reaction he would get. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> with, with a, a hearty mixture of, oh my God, Birdman's the best and you suck. Suck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the, the thing that's impressive about this film too 
is well actually let's go back i'm not done yet the um you wind up with the story of this guy who decides that he hasn't done a movie since those superhero movies and he is putting all of his money in his his career on the line by doing this broadway show that has nothing to do with being a superhero and there's problems therein with different actors they bring in edward norton as a character not Edward Norton, but character named Mike, played by Ed Norton, well, who's being a comedy, a, a parody of himself in yes. real life as well. Did are, you, are you familiar with a lot of the backstage stories of Edward Norton? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why one of the things that they wrote is that during the while they were working on this, Norton was making comments about the script while they were rehearsing it <laughs> for the scene where he is – Making comments about the script and the director is like, you realize you're doing exactly what's in there. Acting. <laughs> As believable. But anyway, so there's this big production going on and the movie isn't about the Birdman movies per se. And that's one of the things when I watched the trailers originally and – I hadn't read too much about it. I didn't know too much what to expect when I watched the movie, which is how I like to go into it. And because of that... What I was expecting was not what I got. Yeah. And because of that, and because of how brilliantly directed it is, it just, it stayed with me for so long. And were it not for that last scene, it would have stayed with me even longer. The So he's having this breakdown hearing the voice of Birdman in his head all the time, telling him to do different things and whatnot. And he's getting these, he, he's, he's able to control things with his mind and move objects and things like that. And it's the quote unquote Birdman powers or however it works for those movies kind of things. And, but he hides it whenever there's anybody around. And it's what I loved is that, there's the point in the show where he is trashing his dressing room and it starts off with him flinging shit around with his mind. And when the door opens and his agent, Zach Galifianakis, oh my God, Zach Galifianakis, Galifianakis, my God, I always screw that one up. Um, dude, seriously, today has been a rough day. Don't even laugh at me. Uh, when he comes in, all of a sudden, Regan's using his hands to shoot things around. Mm -hmm. And then it's from that point on that you get the really cool directing that's showing first what what the character is seeing and then later on what actually happened. Like when he, quote unquote, flies off the roof and zips around flying all over the place. And then when he lands at the, the, um, the, the theater – and then you get the cab driver saying, hey, hey, you got to pay me kind of deal. I, I like that bit. Yeah. So I really liked how that was done. So then when you get to the end, spoiler warning, here it comes, folks. When you get to the end and you have been, you've, you've seen that it was all in his head and obviously there's some deep problems there that need to be addressed and he jumps out the window and when she comes in, his daughter – and looks up and it's that happy moment of, oh, he actually is Birdman flying off. I hated that shit. 
Absolutely. I hated, hated that because up until that one point, it was brilliant. I'm not even talking about how it was shot in terms of these insanely long takes. There oh, are apparently only 16 visible cuts in this movie. And, and even then, they're hidden. Like, Oh, yeah. Ki- kind of, it gives you the feel. But see, all right, here's the thing. It absolutely deserved the award for best cinematography because of those yeah. effects and, and the way it was shot. But it felt kind of wasted. Like, it was a fabulous effect, but I don't feel that that particular, you know, single shot, yeah, faux single shot uh, feel really added anything to the movie. Though. Oh, I did. I did. See, I I just felt that it drew you into the moment like nothing else. And when you tack on to that, the drum soundtrack, which sadly they mm-hmm. said because of whatever little rules they got, they couldn't nominate it. But that drum score throughout, between that and the frantic way in which it was shot, sucks you into that world. You can't... It's like this vortex, that you, a black hole that you can't escape out of it. You're sucked in. You're being dragged along the hall from room to room as they're having all of these moments down the stairs, up, outside, everything. And you're being dragged. The viewer is being dragged along throughout all of this. It, as a storytelling device, I thought it was, again, I keep going back to brilliant, but it truly was. See, I agree, but for me, for the effect to work... We kind of needed to stay with Riggin the entire time. Oh, I don't. Whereas know. we we whereas we get scenes with you know Emma Stone and Edward Norton their characters and and a number of side scenes that don't involve him, which is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with those scenes. But and for me, that's where the the uh, camera tricks kind of failed. Like it it didn't have that same meaning to it. Oh, see, I did not see the camera as being solely for Regan, but rather as the audience's perspective on everything going on with this production. And because of everything that's going on with Regan and whether or not for, for a quite a while you believe, okay, well, I guess in this quote unquote world that they live in. Yeah. He actually has these abilities. So part of you has to see, be allowed out of that to be able to see from other people's perspective as well and get some, some, some dose of reality kind of thing so that you question it more as it's occurring as well. See, I I don't disagree. It's just there for me, they were using two different filmmaking styles that Hmm. kind of clashed. Okay. Well, like, I the, again, that's for me. Yeah. And, and like I said, technically, I cannot fault it whatsoever. It was brilliant and masterful. Yeah. Just the effect they were going for didn't work for me because of its willingness to break away from Keaton. Like it, it made the entire effect kind of superfluous. Hmm. I am again. I don't agree. I, I'm. I'm not going to argue with you. Obviously, mm-hmm. try to convince you. I, but I really, really don't agree. But we do agree that last scene sucked. It was absolutely horrible. I, I was already kind of wavering a bit. The whole third act was a little off for me. Like every basically that flying scene was kind of like everything up to that point. I absolutely loved. Like it, it was phenomenal. After that, it was kind of hit or miss for me overall. 
I'm going to agree with part of that because I was – I'm going to sound like a terrible human being, but that jump you off are. the roof, I wanted to see him kind of broken up a little bit on the sidewalk. <laughs> from, and there's your reality there, folks, because, I mean, you get to see certain amounts of that, like when he's passed out drunk on the, the street and other things that – I think that had they made it so that the building maybe wasn't too high and he kind of – he didn't die from the impact, but he was busted up. And then he Well, they had already done the – the, the suicide fake out once. Yeah, there, there could have been other ways to handle it than that because that kind of made it a little bit too surreal as well because he's on a roof one moment and then the other moment he's obviously he's gone down the stairs, gotten into a cab and gets there. So it, that one was stretching it a little bit farther, too far for me as well. What's but hilarious it, is right before the flying scene where he's having the visions of the aliens and whatnot. Phenomenal action scene. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the better action scenes of the year. So again, this is a movie that I loved it. I loved the directing. I loved the I loved the, that drum score was again, I look at it in the same way that I look at the directing with the, the cinematography and how it was handled because it ramped up whatever was happening at the proper times more so than I think a, a traditional score ever could have done and really made you feel like you were in that space as well. It fit perfectly and it was just so frantic that as things are ramping up in the show, it's palpable. You can feel it thanks to your subwoofer that the drums coming through <laughs> on there. You feel it. And uh, and yeah, I, I can't think of a better way that they could have done it than that. No, that I'll absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and then the acting in it throughout was really, really good. Edward Norton was great, Naomi Watts great, Zach great, Emma Stone. Eh, I'm not a She's key. been better in other roles. Yeah, and then Keaton was great. I honestly don't think, I I don't think that he should have been nominated for Best Actor. I got to tell you honestly, there's others that I think should have been nominated before him because mm-hmm. again it wasn't that it was he such a phenomenal acting job that made the film it's obviously it was good he did a great job but to be nominated yeah not so sure it was more the casting than the acting itself yeah exactly exactly and then for grand budapest hotel this is the one that again it's i could spend the night reading the script for this and laugh <laughs> it is that great when you go on imdb and you look through the quotes for this film, especially if you've seen it, because then you can see the characters in your ear. Doesn't that violate copyright law of just copying and pasting the entire script? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) But yeah, there's, there's more for this one than for a lot of other shows, boy. But it's just that everybody's lines were so good. And it's got that weird, quirky feel to it that I so love, but not just, not just, odd and quirky, but also just harsh as well at points and things like that. Like when, when Gustav is dropping F-bombs out of nowhere or at the very beginning too, when he's talking about her shaking like a shitting dog or something like that. And you're going like, Oh, that's what this is going to be. But the writing is so brilliant especially for gustav but not just him a lot of the other ones as well i mean it's just so well done 
and it's one of those things where there's so much fantastic dialogue, but there's not one more word than there needs to be. Yeah. Like they were supremely efficient with with the script of just getting maximum impact without any unnecessary fluff. Like I, I can't imagine a single word that could have been edited out of this cut. I love <laughs> and again, you've got some insane talent here too. Oh my god, it's it's ludicrous. <laughs> we got Ralph Fiennes, um, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Adrian Brody, William Defoe, Jeff Goldblum, Harvey Cartel, Jude Law, um, Bill Murray, Ed Norton, who also Birdman, two for him, um, Tony Revolori, who did Zero, the young. Oh my god, he was fantastic! Amazing. Can you imagine being this. that kid cast in this movie? Yeah, it like, just must a- have been acting insane. opposite of Ralph Fiennes and all these other legends like come on yeah the scene where adrian brody was so cool in this i loved him where he's there when they're at the funeral and uh the service and he's giving gustav crap so if you ever laid a figure on my mother i swear i'll cut your throat and gustav is like i thought you said i was a fucking faggot and Dimitri says you are but you're bisexual <laughs> I I appreciate good writing. I really, truly do. And I love clever writing, too. A lot of people think they're clever, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. The internet is full of those people. I've been called that even a few times. But when you read something that truly is clever, intelligently written, and it's not about slapstick gags, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just... Funny by virtue of what is happening, what's being said, and just intelligent writing. And this has that for damn near every single character. And then Jude Law does such an amazing job as the narrator throughout, because he's got that voice too. And uh, and he's got phenomenal lines as well. And he plays the part very well. Like once he meets up with uh, Mustafa, who turns out that it's zero the the interactions between the two of them mm-hmm. while it doesn't take up a lot of time in the movie are again so well done that little meal that they have together is just it's 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 like you were saying you can't imagine many things edited out it's the th- same thing with the scenes not just the words but everything is beautifully edited together so that you have this really tight story that still has the time for those quirky glances across a table or whatever kind of thing. Yeah, it's, again, it's efficient. Jude Law and Abraham did not have a whole lot of screen time together, but every second mattered. And it's it's just a testament to good filmmaking because we've seen so many films over the last few years that are just these sprawling epics that are an hour longer than they need to be just for the point of exposition or, okay, we're not going to visually develop our characters. You know, it's like you say, they, they tell, they don't show instead of actually going through everything. They, we just, we're just told about what happens to the characters. And like, even for me, Birdman had a little bit of that. 
but it, absolutely none of that here. It's all presented to you. And it, it's also one of those movies where if the viewer doesn't keep up, screw you, yeah, buddy. You're, yeah, left, yeah. you're left in the yeah. dust. <laughs> like you, you, this movie requires your undivided attention. Yeah. Wes Anderson directed this and it was – I mean, the guy put together – look at – this cast has four Oscar winners and 11 actors that were nominated for, for Oscars. Like to have a cast of that much talent and to do with them what he did so that everyone, even if it's a small role, like some of the roles are really not too big – but I'm thinking again when the people read the script it was like I'm only on screen for two minutes I'll do it I don't care <laughs> like, like you don't even have to pay me I'll be there like look at Willem Dafoe look yeah. at his character great actor hardly any lines in the did he even have a line I don't know yeah, he had a few here and there I think but I mean I just have to imagine he gets a phone call from Les Anderson hey you want to be in a movie sure you want me to send you the script no don't worry about it yeah I'll be there <laughs> like, that that's how it had to go yeah well Harvey Keitel same kind of thing. He's got a few lines that are really good and funny, but I mean, he's only in there for a few minutes and then that's it. He's done. But honestly, that's kind of a Harvey Keitel yeah. role. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't imagine Willem Dafoe as the slapstick hitman. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton, she was turned into this 84-year-old woman. They said that they went all out with the makeup for her. Obviously, they did. <laughs> that <laughs> might also be why in the Oscar. But uh, But yeah, she was just... She pulled that off beautifully as well. Again, not in for very long, but and, – and when he's talking about nailing her and he's like, she's 84, I've had older. <laughs> so this one here is – it's the adventures of this Gustave who's a legendary concierge at a European hotel and it's between the wars. And I love that too. I love those period pieces that are well done around that time kind of thing. And but it's, it, it's also one of those things. What wars? Yeah. <laughs> what, what border were they? On? Well, they would have been <laughs> essentially between uh, what were they saying? It was essentially where they filmed it even, which was about 20 minutes from the Czech Republic. It was between Germany and Poland and, it was very close to that's where that fictional place would have been. Mm. So that's the great thing. It's entirely fictionalized, but you can still put yourself in the theoretical place where, yeah, you know, okay, yeah. it's between World War II, you know, Eastern Europe, but that's not what the movie is, but it puts you in that headspace beautifully. Yeah. Well, when you're going, when he's on the train and they're stopped, and then years later, it's like stopped again. <laughs> and it's like there's always a war there, something's going on. And those scenes on the train, oh, my God. <laughs> Let go, my lobby boy. <laughs> and Norton, I keep going back to Norton. Norton was so good in his role. I mean, he's one of the few voices of sanity in this movie. And you wouldn't expect it necessarily from Ed Norton. But he does such a great job with the, with the role. And Bill Murray, oh, my God. <laughs> the underground concierge. <laughs> network <laughs> of course it's the only thing that makes sense so the movie is again it's you're you're getting the story from jude law's character who's a young writer who stays at this hotel that's pretty well not necessarily run down although a little bit but 
there's just not a lot of people who go there. But it tells the story of in its heyday when this concierge was there, Gustave, and he ran the place and he just was quite the character. And then there was the lobby boy that was Zero Mustafa and he was being trained by by Gustave. And when one of the older patrons of the hotel passes away and leaves Gustave this painting worth millions, boy, with Apple, and he takes off with it and steals it, even though it's it's going to be contested, the will will be contested and everything, and he runs off and, and steals it. And then it's just this crime caper <laughs> of escaping police, escaping everybody, a shootout at the hotel. You get the the present tense story going on with Jude Law and the older Mustafa as well. There is so much going on with this movie, but again, it's tight throughout and you are, it's not a movie that you could stop our way through and say, uh, you know, I need to go for a leak or I need to go get another drink or whatever. At least it wasn't for me. I was hook, line and sinker beginning to end with this show. Even though there are clearly delineated chapter breaks, you can't. I, I dare you. <laughs> yeah. Lastly, we've got The Imitation Game. Now, the imitation game, as I said, is a story, uh, well, of Alan Turing. And he is the man who, along with another team, but it was him, um, cracked the Enigma code, which allowed the British military to be able to intercept communications between the Germans and thus win some battles or escape some battles or whatever, but they had to be tricky in what they chose to address and whatnot, because if they would have done too much, then the Germans would have figured out that the code had been broken. And so they had to actually allow certain casualties to, to occur. It's I, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but that was probably my favorite scene in the entire movie yeah. when they had, had that to decide. choice to make. Yeah. So it's, it is definitely – this occurs far later on, but I mean we're bouncing all over the place anyways. Yeah. But but it is it, – I, I say it first because there's weight to the film and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why. I mean war films by their very virtue, they're, unless it's Grand Budapest Hotel, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's weight to it because these things happened. We know they happened and th- these things here are not a secret. For the longest time it was but it obviously is not anymore and – Turing was a, a, a genius and it's because of him that the war ended as soon as it did, which was not soon at all, but it would have stretched out significantly longer were it not for this man. And you get the story of how he starts working with the military to try to crack this code by developing the first computer. And of course, I mean, you can remember the pictures in the 60s and 70s of computers that took up entire rooms. Well, this is even more primitive than that. But it is a a manner in which they can on the fly decode any message that's sent using Enigma. So it's him working with a team. And because of who he is, 
I mean, picture freaking Sheldon from Big Bang Theory and how nobody likes him kind of thing. There's kind of some of that in the the, the role where except less funny because he doesn't have, know how to react to people on a social level and is that stereotype of the genius kind of thing that just cares about real things. And that's where I have to give a ton of credit to Cumberbatch yeah. because when the movie started, I was like, oh, my God, he's playing Sherlock. But he did enough with the role to alter what's essentially the same character. Like, like you said, it's, it's Sheldon, it's Sherlock, it's it, this, the socially awkward, smartest man in the room. But he played it in such a way that made it incredibly distinct from the, the role he's still probably best known for. Well, the thing with Sherlock is that Sherlock doesn't care if other people like him or not. Mm-hmm. And Turing, you see as the movie progresses, he acts like he does it most of the time. But there are glimpses where yes. you see – I hate to say the man behind the genius, but you do. You see that humanity – and how he would like to have certain things. And because he is gay, he does want the companionship that other people have, but he's not allowed to because at the time it was it was a criminal offense to be gay. I mean, it's not that long ago that this mm-hmm. occurred. I mean, it's happening in other places in the world right now. But here's this genius that could have a, a a relationship with someone and allow that part of his humanity to come out and not just the genius, but he's not allowed. Like when you see those, those scenes with him as a child, not a child, a young man with the, the person who's there, the other young man. And there's, you know, you get that impression that there's more going on there and there could be eventually a relationship between the two of those. And of course that never comes to pass, but the, um, the, you, you see that he wasn't always that way. And it's mm-hmm. because he's been hurt over the years as well that he's just regressed into his intellect and buried that humanity. So then – Again, again, that, that scene where the headmaster tells him yes, that his friend yeah, had passed yeah. away, it, another fantastic yeah, scene. Yeah. And all of this builds and th- this is also why I appreciated it so much. It, it, it keeps building and building so that when you get to more towards the end and – he is – he's not losing his mind, but he's sunk into this depression and also because of the chemical castration that – I mean they gave him a choice. You're either going to prison or chemical castration. So he chose that. Well, that screws with your brain and everything as well. So he is so messed up that when you're seeing that emotion breaking through periodically, it's believable. It's not – again, you keep going back to either – you know, Sheldon or, or Sherlock kind of thing. Um, those poignant moments where there's emotion shown there. Yeah, it's kind of poignant to a certain degree, depending on what it is. But it's nothing compared to this just because you got to see how that humanity was there before. Yeah, he was socially awkward, but he was very much capable of loving. But it got squashed and squashed and squashed. And so when it finally explodes at the end, which obviously it did. It got to the point where he committed suicide before his 42nd birthday. So it, it just got so bad and you feel for the man that it's also oh believable at the end when you're seeing him losing his mind and only caring about the computer because, you know, the computer won't hurt him. Mm-hmm. So you, however, had some issues with this. 
I, I don't want to say I had issues. Like, I, again, technically, I feel it was a, a phenomenal movie. I, pretty much top to bottom, the acting was fantastic. You know, Cumberbatch, Knightley, the entire cast, I thought, did a great job. Yeah. It just, it felt, it's still, despite the message it was trying to carry, I still felt it played it too safe. Like, it, it's almost as if they were afraid to go in a little harder because they didn't want to ruin their uh, award aspirations. That's just, it It just felt a little too sanitized for me. How so? It, and especially with the ending, like it had emotional impact, but it, it just didn't feel authentic. Like, it, what happened to Alan Turing? Like, it's... It's so, and we look at it now as like monstrous, but I, it just didn't come across in the movie to me. Really? Like, I, I just didn't, again, it just felt like a sanitized version of what actually happened. See, the way that I looked at it, and I'm not going to disagree with you, although I, I did feel it when, when she comes to visit him, Nightly comes to visit, and... For those who haven't seen the show, the character that Keira Knightley plays is Joan Clark, who actually married Turing, just for a lot of different reasons. She did care for him deeply, although that changed over time to be more of a love of friend and not a quote-unquote suitor kind of thing. Um, and you want to talk about a, a strong female character to play. She mm-hmm. was phenomenal in every way. I, I want to see her movie. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like, that almost that, That's almost how I felt about this. Man, this was great, but it's got the wrong main character. Like, yeah. for the movie they were trying to make, I, I think uh, Clark would have been... I don't know again, that I agree. It, I know it, what it, you're I saying. I have so many troubles with this film. See, when, when she goes back to see him after he's had that chemical castration thing, I felt it. Like, in every way imaginable... I felt the horror of what they'd done to him because he portrayed it so well. I mean, Cumberbatch at that point was just, I, it, it, one of the things that I loved in, in IMDb, they were talking about how um, some of those final scenes, like Cumberbatch was, couldn't stop crying himself because he'd gotten so invested in the role and he could feel or was making him feel like what these people had done to him. And it shows when you see him in those scenes, like it's, I don't know, I, I felt it. The other thing, too, is that you say they were playing this, playing it safe. For me, what I thought is they tried to give more attention to the, the great things that he should be remembered for. He should be remembered as the genius who cracked the Enigma code, not as the gay man that was chemically castrated and then committed suicide. The, you know, the, the, the great thing about him was his genius and what he did to save millions of lives. So to me, having most of the attention spent on that was what was important. And I felt that they did that in spades because it, it, it all came through. And then the, the rest was how terribly he was treated. And I didn't feel like when you see what they did to him, I don't know how much more honest you can get for it to feel good for you. I, I just see for me, I feel both aspects of his life should have been equally represented. Like, I just it's such a complicated thing to talk about because it's still a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Like. I'm trying not to to put down the film because, like I said, it's it's very well made, very well acted. It's just 
and some of this is we talk about being able to, to set aside a lot of things, but sometimes we carry certain preconceptions into our viewings. And it's a problem I've had with a lot of the Weinstein produced movies. Like it, it's well known that the Weinsteins are among the best in Hollywood of when it comes to winning awards. And like it, I just had a hard time separating a lot of the stuff in their like campaign, like putting posters and billboards up, you know, with the, with the, the phrases, you know, honor the man, honor the film. Like if the film doesn't win awards, then we're kind of disrespecting Alan Turing. Like there was just a lot of stuff outside the film that I couldn't completely shed upon viewing it. See, I didn't see any of that. So I could care less to me. That's, that's marketing speak that should not have an impact on what the movie itself is. And try my best, I still could not separate it from that because oh. it was such an over-the-top aspect of it. But it, that said, I still think that because they were trying to make it more general audience-friendly and didn't want to kind of have that even more downer ending that you know history actually presents. Like it, again, it just it just felt too safe to me. I I will agree with you with that that it could have it could have had ended on an even sadder note. Obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. man took his life. They could have had some scenes there that was were profoundly impactful. That said, putting those in could have also been seen as a way just to try to elicit an emotional response and use it versus show it for what it was. You know what I mean? So you're, you're, that's a tightrope you're walking there as well. No, and it, there's definitely different ways that you can look at it, but that's my particular point of view when it comes yeah. down to it. So this one actually did win for best adapt, adapted screenplay, the writing. Uh, Graham Moore won that. So the, um, again, I thought it was very well written. Um, in a different way than Grand Budapest Hotel. It's just told a very good story, a story that's important for people to know as well. And because we we still live in an age where so many people are being persecuted because of their sexual preference, and this should not be still occurring, and yet it still does. And so a film like this that can demonstrate um, the life of this man and what he had to go through and despite that what he did for humanity i think is something that's important that people need to see this kind of thing so that's the again the other reason why i wanted to put this in our our movies there are like i said before we are going to be touching on some of the other ones obviously because there's some of them that i'm dying to see and and discuss but for now i did definitely want to discuss these three each because of their own little things and what we liked about them yeah, they they all had their own merits. Yeah. So, any parting thoughts on any of them? Anything at all? No, I think we said everything that needs to be said. Yeah. So, another one that I'm looking forward to talking about is Boyhood, which was nominated for Best Picture as well. It was probably nominated elsewhere. I didn't. I didn't actually check. Yeah, it's in a few other categories. Um, that is supposed to be a spectacular movie, and I'm dying to see it i just have not had a chance to watch it yet but i have a feeling that it definitely will probably be one that we discuss on the show as well and i am looking forward to watching selma so that we can discuss it 
see see for me boyhood is one of those where i i, I do intend to watch it but i more because I'm curious whether it's the movie itself or the way the film that was made yeah, that, yeah. That, that really carries it. But for me, the next two on my list uh, that I need to watch are Nightcrawler and Whiplash. Nightcrawler, I'm kind of torn on just because I, I'm sure he did an amazing job based on everything that I've seen. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It doesn't strike me as something that that's going to really appeal to me quite as much. It, it, we'll but see. It, it, it's still a, a great film in, from last year that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. So like, as I, and same with Whiplash, I've, I'd actually had not really heard of it until the Oscars rolled around. I was like, this is something that I'm probably neglected at some yeah. point. Yeah. And Foxcatcher. I cannot wait to mm-hmm. watch this show. So, and you're right about Lego, obviously, because it was nominated for original song. Mm-hmm. Everything is awesome. Everything's awesome. Except and- the best animated movie. <laughs> yeah. <category. laughs> So you're saying you would have given it to Lego Movie over top of Big Hero 6? Personally, yes. Really now? Mm-hmm. I, I just felt Big Big Hero 6 in so many ways was, you know, your prototypical Disney film. Whereas Lego Movie did things that were different and, you know, more high concept. And I, I uh, from an award standpoint, I, I would have given it to Lego over Big Hero. Interesting. Which isn't to say I didn't like Lego because, God, I love that movie too. And indeed, everything is awesome. Okay, that's going to wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Make sure to join us in a few weeks. Actually, did we even decide what we're doing the next one? I think we kind of did. Not We've sure. talked about it. <laughs> we're due for I know an, said you wanted to do another uh, We're due for an anime. Anime, episode. yeah. We're definitely due for an anime. That might be the next one. Maybe cleanse our palate with some anime, which is probably not something anybody has ever said in the history of man. <laughs> God. All right, make sure to stop what by the <laughs> stop by the site at popcornronin.com. Leave us your thoughts in the comments. You can find us on uh, actually on Twitter as well if you ever want to contact us. I am Zen Buddhist on t- Twitter and Vince is at Samodian. And uh, like I said, we'll see you in a few weeks. please make certain to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. (laughs) 